You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Great stuff, guys. Thank you so much. Helping us enter into a spirit of worship. We're so glad you're here worshiping this morning at Roswell Presbyterian Church. Whether you're in the space or at home, wherever you might be, it's a joy to be together. The month of October at RPC is always the month of generosity. And so we're asking folks to prayerfully discern what God is calling you to commit to give to the mission and ministry here at Roswell Presbyterian Church in 2022. We take pledges or commitments to give, and this helps the leadership understand and know and wisely discern what God is calling and what we can wisely commit uh, to serve both here at the church and also our community par- partners. There are three ways you can uh, make a commitment. You can go to roswellpress.org forward slash give. You can do it online. You can also grab one of these forms that are in uh, either in your seats or outside. Just fill it out, drop it in the offering plate, and then we can, we can enter that in for you. Or we're going to be sending a mailer out to the congregation, and you can return it by mail. Whichever way you want to commit to give, we will take. All right? That's the truth. That's the honest truth of the matter. But thank you so much for that. Well, our sermon series for October is Blessed and Blessing. The first week we talked about the logic of the Christian life. It's that God blesses us so that we may bless others. We're blessed to be a blessing. And we also looked at the life of Abraham. Sometimes we don't feel that, that much blessing in the moment, but the blessing is a future promise, and so we have to live the life of faith into the future. And last week we explored what it means for God to bless the church, to receive blessing here as members of Roswell Presbyterian Church. But that raises the second question, is What does it mean for the people outside the church, people who are not members, who are not Christians, who do not follow Christ? What is our call in relating to those folks? Today we're going to look at a passage from the book of Jeremiah, one of those great Old Testament prophets. And I think Jeremiah lays out a great model or paradigm for how we approach or orient ourselves to the world outside the walls of the church. So let us open our hearts and our minds to Jeremiah's words that come from chapter 29, verses 4 through 7. Listen for the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we ask in the next few moments that you might be our teacher, that you might speak a word to our hearts that only you can speak, Lord, that you might Help us recognize the blessings in our lives and that you might inspire us not just to bless this church but also to bless the community and communities we're a part of. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Too Christian, too pagan. 
Just after graduating from college, I went to work for a guy who was trying to start a radio show. We were going to syndicate it nationally. The show was called Belief, Understanding Your Life Through Today's Books, Movies, and Music. It was a really fun time. We got to interview all of these interesting artists and writers and talk about the important questions and the important matters of life. The host of the show was this guy named Dick Staub, and he was a celebrated author at the time, and he had just published a book called Too Christian, Too Pagan. And the subtitle was How to Love the World Without Falling for It. How to Love the World Without Falling for It. I owned the book and learned a lot from it. Unfortunately, due to a number of factors, including 9-11, the show never got off the ground and I had to go into the wholesale coffee business. But I, but I kept Dick's book, Too Christian, Too Pagan. And I gave it to a friend of mine, and my friend had just started dating this gal who was, who just, I mean, she was beautiful. I thought she had a great personality. I thought things were, were going along swimmingly. Went on for several months. And I'd given him this book, and he had read it. And so eventually, we got together for drinks to catch up. And I asked him, I said, how's it going, man? How's the relationship? Do I, do I hear wedding bells in the future? He said, no, nah, man, I, had to, I called it off with her. We broke up. I said, man, I don't know if you could do any better. And he was like, yeah, well. And I said, why'd you break it off? Remember, I'd given the book. He said, too pagan. <laughs> And this raised a fundamental question for me that I've been wrestling with most of my life. How is the church, how is the church, the group of believers that follow Jesus Christ, how are we called to live in relationship to those people who are not a part of the church? To a, how are we supposed to orient ourselves and be in relationship to a culture and world that has very different values, very different goals, very different habits and practices? than those that are laid out by Jesus Christ. How am I and how are we to live in God's world that is often living in rebellion to God? This is the question that confronts Jeremiah in our passage today. Here's the backstory to our passage. Jeremiah's audience are exiles living in Babylon about 600 years before Jesus. The Babylonians invaded Israel, invaded Jerusalem, and took out all of the leadership all the bright and shining stars of the Israelites and took them off to exile in Babylon. This is what the cultures did at the time. And so they find themselves, these Israelites, living in Babylon. And so Jeremiah writes to them. Because how are the Israelites supposed to live when they're living in exile? There's some different approaches you can take. You can live in outright rebellion. Let's throw off our Babylonian oppressors. But Jeremiah instructs them to do something different. He says, have children. And when they become adults, they should have children. You should plant gardens. Take care, because y'all are going to be there a while. You're not leaving. It says, invest in the society you find yourself in. Care about the well-being and the flourishing of the culture where you find yourself. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. In its welfare, you will find your welfare. 
I think this is a good approach that Christians can take in relating to the world, relating to an often unchristian world. We should be asking ourselves not just how can we be blessed, not how can we just bless our church, but how can we be a blessing to the community where we find ourselves? Blessed to be a blessing. Because Jeremiah is saying, if you're a member of that community, by blessing that community, by definition, you will receive some of that blessing. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. In other words, a rising tide lifts all boats. Now, there are different approaches to answering this question throughout Christian history. In 1975, H. Richard Niebuhr, who was a theologian, wrote one of the most influential Christian books of the 20th century called Christ and Culture. In it, he explores the relationship through history of the church to the world. And he lays out a typology that he says most churches can fit in one of three places. They're not mutually exclusive. And to my mind, the most recent and best updating of his argument comes in James, James Davison Hunter's To Change the World. He's a professor at University of Virginia. And there are three basic ways that we, the church historically has related to the world. First, you have the church against the world. Good examples of this would be maybe Quakers or Mennonites. We try to build a, a hard wall between the church and the world. The world is seen as a corrupting and polluting influence on the church. We see this, I think one example might be um, the exclusive listening to Christian music. To listen to anything quote-unquote secular might pollute, might bring us down, might be dangerous. And so we need a, a hard wall between the church and the world. On the other end of the spectrum, Niebuhr says... There's the church of the world. He says, there's no wall between the church and the world. In fact, the church looks exactly like the world. These people, they speak, act, and like, like everyone else. There's no difference. And eventually, one Sunday morning, they get up and they go, why do I got to go to church? I'll just go for a walk. <laughs> there's no difference between the two. Oftentimes, a church tries to be so relevant that there's no difference between the church and the world. On the third model, finds somewhere between. The church is in the world, not of the world, but for the world. The church is not of the world, but it's in the world, but it's for the world. And I think this is Jeremiah's position advocating for to the Israelites living in exile. You are an exile people. You're a stranger in a strange land. But care about the land you're a part of. Invest. Bless it. Seek its welfare. Because in its welfare is your welfare. In many ways, I think this kind of idea undergirds Jesus' kind of advocation of what we call the golden rule. In Matthew 7, Jesus lays out the golden rule. And he says it's a summary of all of the law and the prophets. He says, in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. In Luke, a rich young man comes up to him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And the young man says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've given the right answer. 
do this and you will live. Jesus is saying our destinies are all tied up together, not just here in the church, but those outside the church who live in our communities. But we live in a deeply individualist society. We hear a lot of talk about my rights, my freedoms, my needs, my desires, my, my, my. But my rights only exist if we all can agree that we have rights. As soon as that social contract fails, the rights and freedoms begin to break down. They'll be in trouble. One of the concepts that I've learned a lot from, especially our African friends, is this African concept of Ubuntu. And Ubuntu, roughly translated, is I am because we are. In general, I think in Africa, there's much more communal relationships. There's less about me and I and more about we. Because I am because we are. It acknowledges there's a relationality, a connectedness. We're all in this together. We're all on the same ship. <laughs> we need to seek our blessing the blessing of our church, but also the, the blessing of the communities we are a part of. We are blessed in order to bless the world. In one of his last writings before his assassination, Dr. Martin Luther King wrote a book. It's titled, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community? The sixth chapter is titled, The World House. And King begins by telling a story about a famous novelist who had died. And King says that among the novelist's papers, there were a list of suggested plots for future stories. And he said the most prominent story begins like this. A widely separated family inherits a house in which they have to live together. A widely separated family inherits a house in which they have to live together. King says, this is the exact problem humanity now finds itself in. That we are all part of a world house, what he calls a world house. He says, all inhabitants of the globe are now our neighbors. He say, goes on to say that humans have progressed technologically, but we have failed to progress morally or spiritually. He says we've given in to worshiping the unholy trinity of racism, consumerism, and militarism. He says, look what happened. And he writes, when scientific power outruns moral power, we end up with guided missiles and misguided men. How is that? I think I could preach. When scientific power outruns moral power, we end up with guided missiles and misguided men. And then he concludes that there's a choice that confronts us. He says, this may well be mankind's last chance to choose between chaos and community. He wrote the essay in 1967. I think the choice still stands before us today. We have to see ourselves as a part of the world house, as that we're interconnected family. The church, yes, must use God's blessing to bless the folks who are here, but also to bless the broader community we're a part of. The world is God's house. And we're called to take care of the family, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters who are part of it. In a Roswell Presbyterian church, we are called to be a blessing 
To bless those people who are in the church, yes, but also to bless the church and the communities we're a part of. This year we're asking, as we always do every year, for two financial commitments. We're asking you to commit in 2022 to give to the operating budget. We ask you to also give a second commitment to commit to give to the mission budget. All of those funds go out our doors to our mission partners who can do the work of ministry, probably better than we can. We help fund them. We have three strategic areas we give to. Affordable housing. We recognize that until somebody has a place to live, their other basic needs can't usually be taken care of. So it's important to provide housing, affordable housing for folks. Second, education. We know from the data tells us that the thing that most moves the needle in people's lives is education and helps them flourish. And third, emergency relief. We recognize emergencies and disasters that we couldn't have foreseen arise and we need to take care of people in their emergencies. It's in these three areas that we believe God has situated Roswell Presbyterian Church to make a difference in people's lives, to bless, to be a blessing. At RPC, we give what ends up being about 10% of our budget. I told you last week, our annual budget's over $4 million. We give over $400,000 out the door to our mission partners to make an impact in our community, to go where we can't go. Now you might ask, how are our mission partners selected? Well, several years ago, the Mission Outreach Council, who governs those funds and directs them, strategically came together and said they wanted to focus in on those three areas. So affordable housing, we give to the Drake House, Homestretch, and Habitat for Humanity. With education, we have a mentoring program with Rockbridge, or sorry, with Neighborhood Action. We give to Rockbridge Ministries in Kenya, scholarships for students in Guatemala. We partner with the Ch- Children's Development Academy. Maggie DeCan, the executive director, is going to be here in a minute. Emergency, emergency relief. We recognize when there's a disaster, people need help, so we sponsor North Fulton Community Charities, Presbyterian Disaster Assistance, to go where we can't go, to help take care of the world house we're a part of. And these communities God has called us to bless. We are blessed to be a blessing, not just to our church, but to the world. When I was in Guatemala a few years ago, I had the opportunity to visit one of the schools where we give scholarships to sponsor students. We'd been there all week, and on, I think it was Friday, they took us, the team, to the 12th grade bilingual girls' class. And they stood us up in front of the class, and the teacher said, we have a song that we'd like to sing to to y'all. And so they began singing, God Bless America. Now, honestly, I began to feel really awkward standing up there. I just spent the entire week seeing people in desperate need and dire poverty. And I was thinking about how I had been blessed, how we had been blessed in America. And I was like, we're too blessed felt so awkward, and as we're walking away down the hall, one of our group asked our leader and our host, said, that was an interesting choice of songs they sang for us. And Pam, our host, I think she could kind of sense our awkwardness, and she says, yes, we love to sing God Bless America. God Bless North America, God Bless Central America, God Bless South America. I was like, oh, I learned a lot that day. 
It's not just about me or us, but about God's world. The communities who are here in Roswell, the communities who are in Guatemala, in Kenya. God has blessed us so that we can be a blessing, not just to one another, but to the world God loves. Let us be in the world and for the world. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you have blessed us so richly in so many ways. And I pray that you might open our hands, open our hearts, that we might give to meet the needs, not just of this church, but also the community we're a part of, the world you so desperately love. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.